We're back with another episode of Bit by Bit Podcast, another entry in the Biterian Collection. Back with my boy Brandon. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm not gonna lie. This this review, I'm not. I'm gonna let y'all know now for the audience. I'm not really excited about this. And, you'll, <laughs> and by the time this is over, you'll fully understand why. But me personally, I'm all right, man. I'm feeling good. It's always good to chat it up with you, even if we're talking about a trash film, but yeah, let's this, get into this. This film, for the people that don't know, we're talking about, what year did this come out? The 2017 film of All Eyes on Me. Um, this is about the legendary artist Tupac Shakur. Uh, it's the biopic. You know, I don't know, has he really had many biopics? He Not really. I mean, he was kind of featured in Straight Outta Compton. Then they have like the Unsolved documentary. Or not documentary, but you know, TV show. Then they they've had documentaries about him. Then I guess there's a documentary with Alan Hughes coming out in May, but but about him, you know, his mom and Tupac. But this is the only biopic thus far about Tupac. So, oh, and then Notorious as well. So, Brandon, I want to get your side of it because I have my opinions. On this film, or actually, before we get into your opinion, I'm going to say this, and I know it's going to be a controversial topic because IMDb has given this film a 5.8 out of 10. I say this movie isn't too bad. I'm going to say that movie isn't too bad. I know a lot of people have given it a lot of thumbs down. I'm going to say this movie isn't that bad. What do you think? Man, I don't even know where to begin. It's I feel the complete opposite, folks. I feel the complete opposite of you, man. This movie, it literally, I I just remember where I was at the time when it, I, re, I know where I was at the time when this movie came out. Like, mm-hmm. this literally, honestly, was jumping on the bandwagon that Straight Out of Compton created. Like, that movie came out in 2015, and that, like, it was such a big, it was like the first time we had, like, a biopic. Honestly, I don't think it's a stretch. Honestly, we haven't had a black biopic about a black musician that caused this much stir since Ray. And so like I can see that. When this when Strata Compton came out, like it just it just caused such a surge and so I wasn't surprised that like you know, now there's just this new wave interest in these like 90s artists and of course Honestly, I wasn't surprised that Hollywood was like, who's the next big, great Black artist from the 90s that we could possibly make a movie about? Tupac is literally the first person that you would think about. Mm-hmm. And of course, when they, um, I know that I definitely know their process. Like, And especially when they saw Demetrius Ship Jr., they were like, whoa, this guy looks exactly like, like a spitting image of Tupac. So between that and then having an actor that looked exactly like him, they thought it was like gonna be gonna be making Black Panther dollars, but oh, were they so wrong? It was so so many things wrong. Well, let's start at the beginning. Um, 
I one of my critiques, and you and I have talked off uh off the mic for years, would have been the timeline of this movie, where I feel like that we can agree it kind of messes up. This movie has like the weirdest timeline ever because you're trying to put so much in it. Like it starts when he is literally like four years old and then it jumps to, I think he's like eight years old or no, like six. Then it jumps to, he's like eight or 10. Then it jumps to, he's like 17. And it's like, why do we have to keep cramming in all these moments all at the same time? Like you don't really need to have it. And then it goes to, um, I think his mom says, you know, she gives a speech and then Tupac says, I want to be a revolutionary. And it's like, what is this movie? And, you know, you have this weird scene with D Ray Davis. Uh, he has like one cameo as like the, uh, drug dealer, I think uncle. And he only right. comes in at one time and then he beats a guy up and then it's in slow motion and Tupac watches him beat up a guy you know they make it into a thing oh my gosh i have a life moment i don't want to grow up to be like that but i got to get respect on the streets and it's like all right (laughs) you know what i mean like all right no definitely (laughs) like it's yeah that's definitely the first that's one of the many many problems with the movie is the structure we'll stick on that for a second because honestly I mean, not every movie has done this, but again, I noticed particularly with like, because they even kind of did it with Straight Outta Compton. It's like, Mm -hmm. I can tell this film was trying to emulate the story structure of Goodfellas because, I mean, honestly, Goodfellas just, I know it's like weird. Like, why are you talking about Goodfellas and the Tupac movie? Like, I'll explain. Like, the reason why Goodfellas is such a classic is because it does tell like a gangster story. But what made it so great is we're like the way it was told in the structure and mm-hmm. going through different periods of their lives. But again, the structure was to service the story. But movies since then have tried to emulate that same structure. Yeah. But they've unfortunately have missed the point as to why that structure was there in the first place. And this movie is the complete, this is the perfect example to show you like this is how you not make a movie and structure a person's life because, and the fact that it's so brief, like when we talk about like for a perfect example, back to Goodfellas, like in the beginning, we see Henry Hill's story from him being a young person, like an adolescent and like a teenager, but that's like 10, 15. No, that's like, yeah, that's the opening scene, but it's like 20 minutes of the movie, but it's still like layers out why he goes on the path that he eventually becomes compared to the Tupac movie for all eyes on me. They have these moments where they do these abrasive time skips where it's like, yeah, now he's six years old watching his, his dad giving a speech in front of the black Panthers. And it's, and it's literally not even him like talking with his father, interacting with anybody. He, they're just doing one shot of him looking at his father and then boom, now we're cutting to them on Christmas time. And he's eight years old. Like, wait, we didn't even have time for him to understand, like, what did he What did he process at a young age with his father? But no, it's like, let's go on to the next age. And what now did I process years. of him processing? Like, I exactly. didn't even get to stick with the scene. And then it jumps to, like, we jumped to him two years older later, and now, like, yeah, we'll give him, his, his mom gives him a letter, he gives him a notebook, and it's like, yeah, you're going to write in this one day. And 
moves on to the next thing, and now he's mm-hmm. in Juilliard. It's like, okay, <laughs> like filmmakers, people, list anyone that loves film, whether you're in it or not, you got to let things breathe. There's an importance with breathing in your films. Like, I get it. We're in an age where people feel like they need to get things quick and TikTok makes up so fast. But when it comes to a narrative story, you need to let things breathe. People don't get invested in characters by just seeing them for a short period of time. You got to literally make that a moment. So again, that's one of the that's one of the first of many issues with this movie is that this film wants to have a good good fellows like structure, but doesn't earn it and doesn't know why it was effective. So time skipping all these different things doesn't make your movie compelling. And when you're time tipping time skipping to these places, you stay in these moments, you're in these moments, but for a brief second. And you're not really like you your audience won't be able to fully gravitate as to why being in this moment matters. In which I want to oh, piggyback yeah. off of that. Um one of the things I feel like I really wish I could have seen a little bit longer of um was his mom being on drugs and because I feel like that would, you know, really have impacted him because they only show like, I think one scene of it, his mom buying drugs. And then that's it. And then she's like, you guys are moving. You're going from Baltimore, Baltimore to Oakland. And then that's it. And he's like, you're messing with drugs. Oh no. And then that's it. And it's like, wait a minute. What? Like he, you know, and he's like, you used to be a revolutionary and now you dealing with this poison. And that's the end of this like big thing. And and you know what I mean? Like we could have cut a lot of that, those like little scenes in the beginning of him getting the notebook and this and that and focused a lot more on, you know, his mom. I'm not saying focus more on his mom buying drugs. No, but we could have had pivotal moments of this. Um and, you know, even him being in school, him just like learning it, moments of him and his mom or him and his sister or his brother. It was, it was, it was interesting, but I, there was a thing and I know you and I are definitely going to butt heads on this. I really enjoy uh, seeing it in the past, a little bit watching it now. I see why um, I think what you said in the past kind of, boggled my opinion on it viewing it now the music videos i like the music videos i know you're shaking your head people who can't see this brandon is shaking his head (laughs) i like the music videos to even say that statement with a smile like Y'all, y'all understand. This is my brother, my best friend. So I'm, I'm not as pissed as I would be anybody else. But he, re- go ahead, bro. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. People, people. Like <laughs> when we talk about Tupac, all right. When we talk, when our, I'm specifically talking to the black community right now for a minute. When we talk about Tupac, right. One of the things that we associate Tupac with is his music videos. And one of his most famous, if not famous, music video he's done ever was Brenda Got a Baby. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they had the audacity to half ass that video 
is atrocious to me. I'm like, this is a, for a film that's supposed to honor Tupac Shakur, this is one of his most important songs. Mm-hmm. And I would think if I was directing the Tupac movie, I would I would make that a very pivotal moment because you're doing two things. By masterfully recreating the video, you're not only paying tribute, but you're also, as the mo- as this movie should have done, you're now highlighting as to why Tupac was so important and the stuff and the art that he was creating was important. And then you just half-ass it. The scene where he's, when he does his other music video, when he's in the tub with the girl, and it's like... the I think it's the I Get Around one. Yeah, it's like I Get Around. Yeah, the I Get Around bit. Like, that could... Man, when I tell you, again, as a filmmaker, I always... What really grinds my gears a lot is when I see filmmakers who have money, budget, and power and literally have the opportunity to really showcase stuff, and they don't. These music videos, especially the I Get Around video, that could have been a perfect, like when these movies, these biopics do a montage. Doing a a proper montage of Tupac's music videos recreated masterfully, not only would that would have been honoring Tupac, but for an audience member, especially for those who may not even be familiar with him, that would have motivated me to go watch, to like not only be immersed in the movie that I'm watching currently, but yeah. it would have motivated me to go back and rewatch the actual videos that these were based on. But because you got to think of keep going back to it. Straight out of Compton did that. Yeah, but you have to think about it, though, not to cut you off. The Tupac movie probably didn't have the straight out of Compton budget. You have to think about it. Straight Outta Compton also had two very high-profile pioneers behind it. Tupac didn't have a really big power force behind it. We'll get into that later on, but not to cut off your point, did the Tupac movie really have a really big power force behind it like that to have that type of budget? So to recreate those type of videos, they probably, you know, really just pulled it. You know what I mean? Like, hey, this is what we can give you. Straight out of Compton could do that. The Tupac movie probably couldn't do it. Next next statement. Go to your next <laughs> one, please. Because I people, y'all don't understand. I really could I really can decimate <laughs> this movie apart. Like he don't like Please, I'm just saying. Because honestly, I'm gonna let y'all know right now, giving y'all insight. This man's got notes, which I applaud. I'm glad you have a structure to this. Because, like I said, I was joking with him off air. This, if you didn't have a a proper structure with these notes, this would have basically just been a whole unfiltered, unbiased, like unfiltered rant on why this movie doesn't work. But I'm glad that he has these notes because it does help me break it down piece by piece. And just the fact that he gonna have the nerve. Oh, he doesn't have the budget. I'm just saying, my whole thing is, uh, my whole thing is, I value the music video aspect due to the fact that it at least gives us some inkling of, okay, they're attempting to try to give us a piece of the Tupac music videos, a piece of it. But I do get your aspect of it. If this is it. All right, hold on, people. Let's, I'm not going to just give up because I actually, this is why. Technology is great. So I just pulled up 
you know, the budgets between straight out of Compton and all uh, that. Oh, great. He's about yeah, to go no, in. See, listen, I'll tell y'all right now. He's one about thing, to go one in. One thing y'all know about me, I don't like to just do things purely off emotion. When I'm emotion, the receipts. I'm, it comes from passion, but I also like being very logistical and logical about things. But let me look at this real quick. So he got the receipts. Absolutely, man. <laughs> it's our community, man. We better have our receipts. So for straight out of Compton, the production budget was in between twenty-eight to fifty million dollars. Okay, that's what the budget was. Listen to that. Now, twenty-eight to fifty all eyes million. All he had a budget of forty million dollars. Oh Lord, dang people, dang people. Okay, so let's go by the numbers. Yeah. So straight out of Compton basically had the equivalent of $50 million in budget. So we're talking about $10 less. That's what we're doing. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Don't. Wow. No excuses, people. Especially when you got money. See, this is why I tell people like, I, I didn't know irked. you had receipts. I didn't know you had receipts. For this. I get irked. This is the things that be irking me when people are like, oh, they didn't have a chance. Like, bro. I am an indie filmmaker. Basically, I'm an, I will say, I'm an, no, yeah, I'm an independent filmmaker. And the fact that I'm able to find ways to make ish make sense with little to no money, and the fact that these people have all the money in the world, this is why I'm telling y'all people, sidebar rant, but I'm going to go to the next part. When I make it, y'all, y'all don't understand. I want y'all to hold me. I want this recording to be a testament that if I'm, make films with 40 50 million dollar budgets y'all better critique the hell out of my ish and be like oh this was off here he had that money i'd be like you right but best believe when i make it through them gates and them dollar signs is coming my way we ain't making these kind of mistakes i know how to budget okay i'm in the industry to an extent and i know how to properly budget a film or a project with little to no money so the fact, again, to reiterate and bring it on home, the fact that this movie basically had the same budget as Straight Outta Compton, and you see these and the differences are this parallel, something wrong. So <laughs> screw your statement, bro. I love you, but your statement has just been officially irrelevant. Let us move on to your next note, please. Budget. Man, you better... Man, thank God for the Google, bro. The fact that I looked that up and just—I'm proud of myself. I the was fact that you had that the fact that you had it to the side is well, is funny to me. Um, I'm still sticking by what I said. I really enjoyed the music videos. <laughs> I'm gonna stick with it. I enjoyed the music videos because it's an attempt. Straight Outta Compton looked good, and I always love Straight Outta Compton. But I'm sticking with these music videos. But my next thing, my next statement is, I, uh, I don't know if I really like that in this film and in all the other like plethora of of biopic movies that followed after this and Straight Outta Compton is the factory of light skinned bodyguards. They just kind of find to play Suge Knight. They mm-hmm. just kind of were like, you know what? We just go to nightclubs and find bodyguards and they're like you you tall six eight bodyguard you gonna play suge knight and all you gotta do is seem intimidating and rub your hands together there's no backstory to him and i think i mentioned it to someone else i'm like if you just do like the death row story you could end up doing the story of all these artists Mm 
Like that would have been the better thing, in my opinion. Like you would have oh, gotten that's actually pretty valid. That's pretty valid. Like a death row. Yeah, I honestly, I just thought about it. See, this is why having creative people on your podcast is great. Like, I feel like if they made if Hollywood made a death row anthology movie, that you covered See? all the bases. Exactly. If you do it like I know people are like, why are you talking about Tales in the Hood? But I say that because Tales in the Hood is an anthology story. Mm -hmm. But I'm using that as a reference because if you use the story of Death Row and you make an anthology film with mm -hmm. these different artists, you would cover on that. And I mean, we always talk about it a lot off off air, but it's just like again, we'll we'll obviously maybe come back to it. But I don't understand why biopics, with the exception of a small few, telling a, a person's whole story is never going to fully work. Yeah, I feel like by the best biopics are the ones where you show a fragment of that person's life and then fill that out. Because honestly, as we all know, trying to tell somebody's full story in two hours or less is never going to, there's always going to be stuff left out. So instead of trying to just tell a whole person's story in under two hours, why don't you just focus on one or two elements of their lives that actually are like pivotal? And then, you know, you're still telling their story, but a moment that like really has weight, you know, like, again, we talk about the scene when, you know, Tupac's mom gives him a notebook and it's like, we really don't need that. Like, not at all. That's kind of a superhero kind of moment. It's like, oh yeah, when you get this, this will be your, like, Bro, this is a person's life, not a superhero movie. We don't need to see him get the book. And like, he probably had more. Well, that's actually true. No, it's actually true. Tupac had mega notebooks. So the fact that they made like this notebook, like this is the notebook that changed the world. Like there's a literal book like where they have his written books, like notebooks written down. Everything. You can buy it. So it's like when they do stuff like that, I'm like, y'all are missing the point of it but to go full circle again like if they did a death row movie anthology story that would literally cover all of the 90s rap era and everything just in one go and it would be entertaining as heck and everyone would enjoy themselves but uh, obviously we don't podcasts like this don't exist because they're doing a lot of things right they we podcasts like this exist because there's a lot of cracks and people like us properly analyze those cracks not to make fun of or to scrutinize but to make aware and hopefully our voices make the proper change to see things be better but to each his own you know our culture you know we have a lot of things to work on but i wanted to get into um i had a note on here where i said this movie makes it where it said Tupac is hard to describe in one sentence, but this movie is just makes him look ridiculous. And I don't know when watching it, I'm like, it is hard to try to describe Tupac in one sentence because there's so many different factions of Tupac. Cause you know, as interviews of people who uh, like personally knew him and had met him, you know, they're like, Oh, I, I met this Tupac. I met that Tupac. And then this film, it's like, it tries to capture so many different moments of him and try to like bottle this man up. But in this film, it's like, I don't know. You get these, 
different versions of a person and it's just like oh yeah i'm tupac this person uh and it's like all right and i feel really bad for demetrius ship because he's just kind of like this guy who's kind of thrown in there and you're kind of just casted off of looks and he's not a bad actor like i've seen him in other things and he's actually a really good actor like i'm not saying he's um, like the most amazing actor in the world but he actually is pretty good as an actor but him as tupac he's not terrible but it's just hard to try to describe tupac in this movie if that's making any sense like it feels like this film tries to put it as tupac is this and you can't try to put tupac as one thing if that makes sense because you can't there's no possible way to put one sentence on tupac and this film tries to bottle him up into one complete thing. No, you're you're absolutely right. Like Demetrius Ship is a pretty solid actor outside of this movie in particular. But you know, again, the, let's be all real, people. The only reason this man got this part was because he's almost a spitting image of the deceased rapper. Like, yeah. That's the only, like, let's be real, people. He didn't get the job because of his acting chops. He got it because he looks basically like Tupac. That's the only reason. I don't, like, when people try to go more in depth about it, like, kind of you did, I see the point, but at the end of the day, I ask myself, if this man did not look like Tupac, would he have gotten the role? Absolutely not. He would not have gotten the role to do, and that's what, people in the black community when they saw the trailer like that's what a lot of people were saying like oh my gosh he looks like him he looks like him i remember when the trailer came out and i was i always look at like youtube comments and that's what a lot of people were saying were like oh my gosh he's like the spitting image of tupac this is crazy this is going to be good and then they all went to the theater and the audience was like yeah this movie's trash and it's like yeah like you think because somebody looks like the person that's enough to make your movie work it's not like we always we always sing this movie's praises but when i think about a film like love and mercy like these are two very different actors playing brian wilson and they have like similar looks to the real guy but again it's like that they're not focusing on oh look how paul dano looks exactly like young you know, Brian Wilson. No, he embodied that character. And the same thing with the older, older Paul, uh, the older Brian Wilson. It's like, I think, like, even with Ray Charles, like, even with Jamie Foxx's Ray, like, yeah, when he puts the glasses on and he does the phrases, it's like, he does kind of look like Ray Charles a little bit. But that's not what got him that Oscar. What got him the Oscar is that he really, like, we I know it's not fair for us to always compare this performance, but it's it's a tale old as time. Like Denzel Washington became Malcolm X. He was you did not see Denzel at all in Malcolm X for those three hours. You are watching Malcolm X go from Malcolm Little to Malcolm X, and the fact that he completely immersed himself in the role was incredible. And so my stance has always been, you don't have to, I'm not, when it comes to people betraying, like currently right now, they're in the, they're doing a, a story about Bob Marley and the guy that's playing him barely looks like him. 
barely looks like him a little bit. Like they put on some like dreads and stuff. And I'm like, I looked at some of the production photos and I'm like, eh, it's not really a believable. I mean, but again, it's not about does he look like him? Does he embody? Yeah. The, does he embody? Will this guy embody the traits and the mannerisms and spirit and tone that we've come to associate with Bob Marley? That's what matters more. Like for writers and directors out there, like if you're casting somebody that's based on someone in real life, don't pick them because they they may have the spitting. Now, if you are lucky to find someone that has resemblance to the person and gives a good performance, congratulations, you found a diamond in the rough. But at the end of the day, the performance and the acting is what matters. And unfortunately, Demetrius Ship. Like, I don't, like, I feel, again, I'm with you right there. Like, I feel bad because I'm like, Demetrius Ship as the person, as the actor, I have no purse, I have no qualms with whatsoever. He was, he was an actor doing a job. But what he was given, and I'm pretty sure he, he can, I'm pretty sure when them days when he was on set, he probably was telling himself, yeah, the only reason I'm in this movie because I basically look like him. He was even told in interviews, like, yeah, my whole life, he was told he looked like Tupac. So when the Tupac movie eventually came in his lap, I'm pretty sure he wasn't too surprised. <laughs> so it's not like it was some recent discovery or anything. Like the only reason Demetrius Ship got this movie was because he looks like Tupac. And as we all know, as we've seen this movie, that is not enough to make this movie. And to go into another piece, you talk about the music videos let us not forget the the infamous recreation of the famous scene in Juice. Oh they really gosh. thought they they recreated that scene, and then they go have the audacity to have a person watching the recreated movie and be like, "Yeah, you really did it." I'm like, y'all just showed me the recreation as y'all were watching it, and I know this is trash, like. And I've seen the, I actually, that was funny, guys. Like, not only did I rewatch this movie, but just on a random thing, like, I actually revisited Juice recently just because I was like, kind of was on, because I recently watched the new, like, Wu Tang series and I'm commenting on like a 90s high these past couple days. So I rewatched Juice and I'm like, bro, Tupac, man. I mean, I feel we can definitely bring this home at the end, but like, Tupac was a really, really great actor. Yeah. And so, again, it hurt. That's why, again, I need y'all to understand. It's like, when I'm ranting or being upset, it's not like, this was, again, this is a person that's really impacted our culture. And so to see a movie that basically half-asses everything this man is about, it infuriates me. I feel like they only have it only because the budget for that part, for the music videos, I'm still sticking with my my opinion on that. But I will agree with you on the juice part because I recently saw Juice as well, and the I feel like it's because it's a film and it's a biopic. The scene of Juice when they show it in the All Eyes on Me is not as <laughs> it's, it's it's very corny <laughs> because they're like. When he, I forget how it, like the lines of, I'm paraphrasing it poorly, but he's like, uh, something, you and steel or whatever. And then the guy, yeah, the guy leans over and he's like, this is a good one, Pac, or something. 
it's completely different as on juice like the shots are different they're standing completely wrong the hallways are different the lockers are different the clothes are different i'm like okay this is something but what's weird is it seems like in all eyes on me certain things and i remember it like uh how the promotion was they focused a lot on oh we have to make sure this is amazing like uh demetrius ship has to wear carl canai because that's what Pac was wearing you know he has to have the all eyes on me cover uh like the album cover and it's like it seems like you guys focused a lot more on that <laughs> instead of like maybe acting and instead of cutting down some of these scenes um i want to jump into i you know clifton powell is in this movie and i like clifton powell but he has such a useless point in this movie like it was a waste of a good clifton powell scene he's in the prison scene and you know he plays like the og in the scene or in the movie and i think tupac is mad because biggie had uh come out with who shot you and tupac is like turn it up turn it up on the radio and clifton powell's like why are you letting that affect you that's outside listen that and i'm this isn't real like yeah. let's let's be honest L- this probably really didn't happen like why yeah. why is this being included right now why are we including this movie oh in the oh, before that the studio scene uh like the, i put so much is missing the like when he gets shot um and he's ro- shot and robbed and what is it a uh, quad studios and then he's brought up to the bad boy studios it's so much missing before the and he's paranoid and he's like oh man bad boy shot me i'm like okay there's a lot missing here and i'm not basing that off the notorious movie and then you gotta like i, I feel like they're trying to build like this mcu universe of you gotta watch notorious then you gotta watch straight out compton then you gotta watch all eyes on me to figure out this portal of what happened and then at the end you get this big reveal of who murdered who like all right it's not that big of a deal here it it's just it was a little messy with those two scenes but i don't know that that was just my big take on it of uh, I didn't like the Clifton Powell scene because it it just didn't make sense. He's in prison and he's like, I don't know. I don't like prison scenes where someone grabs the other one and they give like these life lessons on the spot, like randomly just grab your arm and you know don't let that affect you. You already in jail, young blood. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> I'm gonna add to that, man. Like this is my kind of response to that. Like the first thing I agree with you that Clifton Powell part did not work but again i keep going back to this movie but again i feel like moments like that in prison movies didn't happen until again malcolm x because that scene when he's in jail that's a very pivotal moment when he changes and even like in the even recently i watched the the mike the mike tyson series they did for hulu they also explore like in movies and shows, they definitely when characters go to jail in real life too, that's when a lot of like people go through a shift. So I feel like that's one of the reasons they emulated that. But yeah. again, I feel like now, because again, I mean, that's one of the elements of what's wrong with this movie. This movie took a lot of creative liberties that it did not have to take. And I feel like that's where the Clifton Powell segment came in, because I'm like, why do we need this scene? Like we didn't. We really don't need this part. But again, 
I feel like now that's a trope for writers now to be like, oh, we need to have a turning point. Oh, he's going to jail. So he came back different. So but then y'all don't take into account that his mom was basically a Black Panther, was a part of the Black Panthers. And it's like they don't want to incorporate that, like go into depth about that a bit more. But, you know, we're going to focus on the fact that she was taking a bunch of drugs and like that's why, again, like their focus again, people this is the Tupac movie and the fact that they're like they're focused they're either giving the things that they should be giving light to they either don't give enough time to talk about or they're just not they're they're just making up crap to just be like oh this is something that a lot of people see in stories and that's what works and it doesn't like it just doesn't we don't need to see him go to jail and have a life-changing moment he already was radical and different before he even went to jail because he was raised by a Black Panther. So let's not even act like he just came out of jail and all of a sudden he was a different man. Like he already was different. You he, know? I think he was more revolutionary when he was four years old or six and he was, I'm a revolutionary. And he got that. He got that notebook. <laughs> like Exactly. They I think, think I added those things in there that's supposed to make it work and it doesn't. And again, to also go into the, the Biggie thing, I will admit when that scene, when I first saw it in theaters, when the Biggie part came on, I actually like, again, I saw it in a, a big theater full of black people. And when he came on, people actually like gasped, like, oh my gosh, that's like the, that's Biggie from the Torius movie. And they thought it was a connected universe. And then I thought the same thing. I'm like, are they really trying to do some Marvel stuff right now? Are they trying to make it like, that's cool that they got the actor to play big. Like that was kind of like, okay, we associate this actor with Biggie. So that was kind of cool. But even then I'm like, okay, bro, this is kind of cheesy. And then on a, again, I don't mean to go on. A, I mean, I'm, I'm almost apologize. We, this is what the podcast is about in a lot of ways, but that scene when they're on the balcony talking, that is a whole green. It is one of the worst green screen balcony I'm just. I, it it wasn't the I best. No film. It wasn't. The I best. would literally look at that scene like, why does why does this look wrong? And then when you realize that, yeah, that background wasn't even real. They're not even lit proper. Like everything about man. They like, oh yeah, Biggie's this guy. Remember from Notorious? I'm like, great. That's nice. But, I thought it was cool to have him back. I thought the problem with having him back is there's been such a gap between it it's the guy playing Biggie um, because I want to get his name right. Hold on. Uh, Jamal. 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 Okay, Jamal Woolard. Um, I knew it was Jamal. I just couldn't remember his last name. It Jamal Woolard. It's, it's such a gap between his age of when he played Biggie and then now playing Biggie. And you got to think about it. Biggie is supposed to be like 19 at this point. And it's like there's a huge gap between this and you know what I mean? Like in notorious, he looks way different. And then in this movie, he looks a little bit older. Like let's be honest here, but you know, it's just a movie. I'll be honest. Like, all right, it's just a movie, whatever. I only paid, I think $6 at the local theater at that point. So I was like, whatever. Um, But this is the Tupac movie. So and I hate that people kind of put it that way, like, oh, it's just a Tupac movie. But it, on one half, I had looked at it that way, like, this is the Tupac film. This is Tupac. 
This is supposed to be mad at them. Don't be mad at them. That's how the filmmakers treated this movie. That's honestly how the filmmakers treated this film. When you say that, I'm sorry. I'm I kind of I'm a little past when you said that. It's like, oh, like people see it as a Tupac. I'm like, that's how the filmmakers approached it. That's the yeah. result. When people made Straight Outta Compton, they were making the NWA story. When Spike Lee was making Malcolm X, he was making Malcolm X. And when we talk about that movie, we talk about it in that same vein because that's what the movie he made. These writers and filmmakers who made this movie, they weren't making the Tupac movie. They were just making a movie and it just so happens to feature Tupac, which is one of the biggest disservices to one of the greatest artists that ever walked this planet. So I don't feel like, I'm sorry, I have to somewhat disagree. I, I see why our community comes like, yeah, that's the Tupac movie because that's how the filmmakers went about it. No, I agree. I completely agree. I feel as if, and I have more notes about it. I feel as if this movie should have been bigger. Um, and we'll get into it here in a quick second. Forty million dollars ain't big. I feel as if it should have been bigger. It should have been a different approach to being bigger, though. Mm. That's more so what I mean. It should have been a different approach to being bigger. But I'll get into come back to that point. Come say that part again, but um, say the budget again, but in like three minutes. Got it. (laughs) Possibly. Um, the Snoop Dogg dub. The Snoop Dogg voice dub. <laughs> do we really have to do we really the fact Not that re- that's a no. sentence? We don't Snoop, even have to we don't even have to talk Snoop about Dogg it. Snoop Dogg dub. There's a people. to the people that don't have, don't know about it, um, there's a voice dub of the guy who plays Snoop Dogg. And when you first heard it, you're like, Oh wow, this guy is really impersonating Snoop really well. Then you found out that okay he actually is Snoop Dogg's voice. He's just acting with a Snoop Dogg's voice. <laughs> People, when I, y'all don't understand that that almost broke me because there's a, the scene, because he does an interview where you hear it and that's the scene where you, when you see that part, that's the part that makes you go like, is this real? Is this not? But when you see him on the plane, the dub is, it doesn't even match at all. As soon as he gets on and off the plane, they just stop caring. And I'm like, yeah, this is not real. And just, I don't know. And it also just hurt because I'm like, well, if y'all, if y'all have ever watched anything Snoop Dogg related, this man to the wall talks about how him and Pac were friends. Yeah. And so to see that somebody that legit knew him and was considered him a brother do something like this it's all man yeah we can keep going we can keep going um but continue please the next statement people this yeah one of my favorite parts of the movie is it's the concert scene and it's like towards the end of the movie and there's the lady holding the tommy gun and she shoots the outline of the concert um and it I don't know. It's like the backdrop of it. I feel like that's the coolest part of this movie. Like that might be uh, one of my favorite parts of this whole film. Like but the concerts themselves might be like one one of the best parts of it. Cause, but I feel like the concerts go on forever 
That's the thing. Like, I, I really feel like Benny Boom just had him perform as Tupac to give the audience like a feel and then let Demetrius ship like feel as if he is Tupac and, you know, just let the camera roll. But they just fill up, you know, they're kind of like a time filler, um, or, you know, like a place filler. I, I get it, you know, um, or filmmaker. So to an extent, it's like a, I, I, I feel 50 50 about it. On one hand, it's like, oh, this goes on forever. On the other hand, I understand it. So it's to give people a sense of, man, this is how it must have felt for to go to a Tupac concert. Because in the theater, people really was up and dancing when I went to go see it. And I thought it was just going to be like how Straight Out Compton was. It was more structured. It gives you the vibe of like, oh, NWA concert. But in this film, it felt more like documentary style of, okay, this is like a Tupac concert because it goes on so long. Um, One of my last things, and this is where I want you to bring up the budget again, and I know you're going to really go at me about it. Oh, you're holding your head. Bring it. You're, you're holding your head. I really bring feel it. like Benny Boom is the blame for this movie. I feel like he's not to blame for the the impact of this movie at all, man. Like, I, I, I feel like he's not. I feel like the movie just might be bad because it's a bad script. Because, you know, based off the history of it, I really wish John Singleton, they would have went with the John Singleton script. and Or even Antoine Fuqua when he was attached to it. And then John Singleton's script from what the little sliver we got to read, yeah, it was quote unquote controversial um, and certain people didn't like it, but John Singleton would have been a good director. And from what I had heard, you know, Feeney Shakur had approved of John Singleton. I don't know if that's 100% true. And I heard she didn't approve of this film getting made. And then this got made after she passed away. But I feel as if Benny Boom isn't to be blamed for this movie. I heard they just asked him. He said, yeah. And then they made it and they just gave him the script. I feel like it's just a bad script. And he's just a director that was just like, all right, I'll go and make the movie. But blaming him for it, not saying you are, but, you know, people blaming him. I feel like he's not a bad director. It's just a really bad script. Okay. <laughs> I'm just, is that all you had to say, bro? Uh- Oh Lord. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I will say this. To an extent, I agree with you. To an extent, I agree with you. I do. I do think that this is why I'm telling you, I'll be like, oh, you must be real angry. I'm not angry. Like I no, no. I like to hold space and let my friends and peers like say what they have to say and I properly respond mm-hmm. and retort. But to an extent, I do agree with you. Like, on the one hand, Benny Boom isn't to blame. But at the same time, I mean, it's okay. I'm actually really sitting on this because honestly, okay, let's just start with the elephant in the room. This movie was written by two white writers. That's where, first off, 
the movie was doomed to fail just off that part alone. Mm-hmm. That's where I first start because I'm like, it all starts with the writing room, right? Well, which can I interject real quick? Yes, you may. Uh, when I said at the beginning of this podcast, if someone has listened from the beginning all the way to now, when I said this movie isn't too bad, I meant it wasn't too bad because of Benny Boom. I don't mean because of the writing of this movie. The writing in this movie sucks. I meant because of Benny Boom. <laughs> the, I, I, I only meant because of that part. The writing in this movie is what I have a problem with the most. So I agree with you on that <laughs> wholeheartedly. I hate the writing in this movie. So I more so meant the movie, when I said at the beginning, like, oh, this movie isn't too bad. I only meant that part on defending Benny Boom slightly. The writing part, I don't defend. The writing is terrible. Go go ahead with your statement. Okay. Thank you. Like, that's where, that's where I'm going to start. Every film... Every film starts with the script, right? Mm-hmm. And so the fact that this script, I agree. Like the fact that John Singleton had a script already, they should have they should have went with either Antoine's or honestly, I honestly between Antoine Fuqua or John Singleton, I actually would have preferred John Singleton to direct the film because. Nice. Antoine Fuqua is great. He definitely is a director in his own right. He's definitely strong. But I feel like this movie could have really used John's sensibilities, mm-hmm. directorial sensibilities. Because I feel like, one, it's not because I know people are like, oh, you're picking them because they work together. To an extent, yes, because you need, and I've learned this from experience, when you work with people more than once on something, you build a dynamic that just works. And I want to kind of bring an example. Like back in the day when I was making films in college, I had two er- I had two editors that I worked with and I'm still close to work with to this day. And his- their names are Matt Parenty and Alex Scarp. Great artists and great editors. And working with them, they really, with them consistently, they really made my work like the story and the structure was already good, but every time that I went in the editing room with them, they made the work 10 times better than what I had in my head. And so I go full circle to say, like, even though a script may not be as strong, there's so many areas of the film making process that could have made this movie better. And honestly, like there have been some directors, like to quote even one of them, like Spike Lee, for example, who's worked with very mediocre scripts. And even for some, like perfect example is, and I know people don't like, yeah, is Girl Six a bad movie? Yes, without yeah. question. But is yeah. it visually interesting? Yes, it is. Like as a film, like really playing with the form, like yes, I'm not gonna lie. The whole thing with the rent with the uh phones raining from now from the sky, that was really crazy. Mm-hmm. But it's something I remember, you know. And I think as filmmakers, speaking for myself included, it's super important. Like, even if you're working with the script that's not doing a lot, you as a director and the cinematographer have the opportunity to really take subject matter that may not be as strong 
and really elevate it to the next level. So yeah, the script was already bad, but if I'm a director, because I know someday I'm going to probably to work my way up, work my way up. I'm probably not every script that's going to come to my desk is going to be fire. But if I know if I'm working with someone that's not as good, the next question I have to ask myself is, okay, if the script is subpar or weak, what can I do as a director to really elevate this to make it at least amicable enough where people can make it remembered, you know? And again, perfect is even though the scripts were different, going back to Love and Mercy again, that film, what made that movie so strong was aesthetically. Like the fact that they go in between the 60s, they jump back and forth between the 80s and the 60s. But a visual thing they did cool enough, and I love the technique, was they shot the 60s sequences in 16 millimeter and they did the 80s sequence on 75 millimeter. Yeah. And so, like, you know, it's the details and what you can do to really elevate the story is what could have been done. And that's where when we come to Benny Boom, it's like, as much as this was not his fault, it also kind of is because now you're the director, you have an opportunity to really like finesse on the set and really take it higher. And but the fact he probably maybe I could be I could be dead wrong, but my mind is he probably he he saw the script, he knew it was bad. But he was like, you know what? I can't really do nothing about it. So I'm just going to do what the producers tell me and then just go by the book. And it's true. Like a lot of directors sometimes are literally just that, like hired hands. And Benny Boom, unfortunately, was a hired hand. But again, at the same time, it's like this could have this could have been an opportunity where he could have really flexed his directorial chops and took risk and like yeah the story may not have been great but visually it would have been something we would have remembered it would have, it would have stood out just a little bit more like f gary gray is you know he's a good director but again like with every movie cuz he's done between cuz it's weird like he did the the men in black reboot and stuff yeah but he didn't half ass that either like the story and the script was bad there too, but he didn't half-ass it. Like he really got playful with the cinematography and the product. Like he's one he made up. his own. Like he did his own thing. And with Straight Outta Compton, yeah, he he could have. The story was also kind of mid, but what made it memorable was the performances and the structure and the way it was shot. And so, you know, I, I say all this again to say like the script. I like not even just with my own works, but I really look at with all films. The script is basically a guide. The director, the director and the cinematographer and the production crew, they're the ones that really elevate what's on the page. Because at the end of the day, a script is just words. Now we can all read the line saying, I love you. And it's just simple, but a director can really help an actor say like, you need to say it like this. Or really go this way. So that's why, again, like I full circle moment is like I get that Benny Boom may not have been the problem, but the fact that he had the op as he had the opportunity to elevate it and he just chose not to, it's disappointing. 
So it's like he all the script was already bad, but it's bad when you have a director that clearly just is just going by the book and is just half-assing and doing a job. And like again, this is where my passion comes in. It's like I'm a particularly a little harder on black and minority filmmakers because we we want to be in the room even if we're working on something that might be trash we if i'm working on something that i know is garbage at least i'm gonna be like yeah if it, the story might not be great but i'm gonna do something to really make this like let's play about with the lenses choices and this like really make something make make it worth going through through all of this you know so to see a 40 million dollar movie this being the result and to see another film with basically the same budget and you can literally see the night and day results. It's, you know, we were like, Oh, you're being too hard. It's like, you see the difference. No, you I get it. The difference. And it My- doesn't matter how much budget you have. Like these bit, there have been big Hollywood movies that have a lot of budget, but the stories and the results be trash. My only thing is, I don't know if, and you might disagree with me. My only thing is, did Tupac and someone else has said this? Did Tupac technically need a biopic? And I don't know if he actually really needed a biopic, like a full movie biopic, especially a two-hour biopic. And that's not to really, that's not to really get into like a longer form discussion about it. But if you really think about it, the man only lived to be. 26 sadly but like in this day and age like right now if someone was like you know what let's go make a biopic about tupac and a series about tupac do we really need to make a biopic about tupac at 26 and um you know to the listeners out there if you've listened to our other episodes tyree that's usually on here once we he and i had uh seen it together he was like you know what this movie could have been split into three parts like the steve jobs movie and I was like, really? And that was a great example. Steve Jobs, you know, they split his life into three different parts. They just picked three different moments from his life and they told his story. And they could have done that with Tupac. You pick one part of his life, picked another part of his life, picked a third part of his life. And that had me thinking when watching it this moment, what if you told Tupac's life from the women's perspective? Like from his mom, his sister, and Kadada, or Jada's perspective. That's the thing. Like, be creative with it if you're going to tell it. See what you just said, though? What you just said, the fact that that came to you naturally, if you got this script and was like, oh, to make it different, (laughs) I can just look at it from, that's different. It probably, like, but the fact that that's not just like, oh, we're just going to follow beat by beat. That's all you have. That's what if Benny Boom had had the idea. Hey, we're not allowing that, any Benny Boom slander on this podcast, buddy. That could have happened. You've I'm seen not, what he again, did I'm with Hard in the Green. But it's just the fact that that came to you so naturally. That's the difference. I'm like, you, what you was seen what he did? You seen what he did with Hard in the Paint? Do something a little different. I seen what he did with Next Day Air, Hard in the Paint. We're not allowing Benny Boom slander on this podcast, buddy. Okay, now. <laughs> I will never forget the day I told you Benny Boom was directing this movie. It will always be cemented in my brain. <laughs> Please tell the people for this, man. They need to so know. So you and I, uh, to the people that don't know, Brandon and I met in college years and years ago, ages ago. Um, 
it sounds so old now, but uh, we were sitting down in our cafeteria in college and it was like, I've seen on my phone and I said, Oh, they're making a Tupac movie or Tupac biopic. And you're like, really? Who's directing it? And which is so crazy. This is how you know it's two nerds studying film. And it's like, Ooh, who's directing it? Uh, like, there's not two people who are interested in uh, uh, sports. It's who's directing the movie. Uh, but it's like, Oh, who's directing it? And you're, I said, Oh, Benny Boom. You're like, Who's that? And what is he directing? And I said, Oh, Waka Flock is hard in the paint. And you're like, No. And you just scream out this belt of no across the cafeteria and i'm like calm down <laughs> walk Bro. a fuck is hard in the paint it's a good music video because i think it had won an award it won like a bt award man and an mtv music video award again people that's i don't know true. i don't know how it landed in his lap from john that's, singleton yeah like but <laughs> that's what blew my mind i'm like that was the criteria for him to make a two-part move man look and we've already talked about it a lot on here, but it's also just music video directors, with the exception of Calmatic, great man, love him to death. With the exception of him, for the first time I can now say, music video directors are not- infamously notorious for having terrible feature films. So when he said that to me, I was like, are you serious right now? Like, this is what we're doing? So that's why I had such a strong reaction because I'm like, this is probably going to be terrible. But I was also right. So I was, yeah, was I being a little extra that day? For sure. But my feelings was kind of valid once we got the result that we did. So come on, man. So as a closing statement, Brandon, do you think this movie should be entered into the Bitarian Hell no. <laughs> Jeez. Hell no. I was prepared. I was about to say that early. I was before during this video, I was about to be like, before you even ask, is this going to be in the Bitarian collection? Hell no. But I was like, let me save it to the end and make it real dramatic. Hell <laughs> no. This shouldn't even go nowhere near the collection shouldn't even look past it acknowledge its existence you this having this film involved in that at all would be a disservice i'm sorry listen i know you're like oh i don't want to throw any shade or derail but no no you are better than that i say this from a place of love like i want you to grow and the last thing you need is to have this trash on there and then if this shit gets picked up by a real station and niggas really like this they're gonna be like wait a minute you you validated what movie what nah hold on hold on we might need to just because of that so i don't want you to mess up a future opportunity for you i'm trying to block i'm not i'm trying to literally help you block prevent you from blocking a future blessing out here man so in regards long answer is fuck i know but hell no this movie should not be near the Byterian collection with a quadruple billion foot pole no i'll keep it more g-rated and say i agree um i told y'all i, I agree I told you, with you I, this uh, is the movie you want me to talk about i'm gonna be honest and this is also good entertainment value for you but it's how you know your friends like they care man this ain't no like oh is this a gimmick and 
Oh, is he's just putting on an act now, man? No, like, we've talked about this movie since it came out. Oh, 2017, so yeah, we've talked about this movie since it came out. And yeah, it's been years of talking about this movie. It's it's an interesting movie, man. But let me get off the air. It's been great to have you on, man. Even though this movie doesn't really sit well with me and will never sit well with me, <laughs> I appreciate you having me on. And it's blast. It's always good to chat with you, man. Good to chat with you too, man. And to the listeners, thanks for listening. Um, go watch Hard in the Paint and Brandon supports everything Benny Boom does and he loves All Lies on Me. All right, thanks for having you on, Brandon. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.